Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Well, good morning, church family. It is so wonderful to join together with you this morning. Isn't Coz amazing? I so enjoy the kids spot every week. I learn from it. I so enjoy it. Thank you so much, Coz. Um, I wonder if has everybody been watching the Olympics? I know we've got swimming trials coming up in like half an hour or so, which will be pretty um, exciting. I've been enjoying watching that. It's the one time every four years that I am interested in sports and then it passes. Three weeks of it is, is, is all I need. But I enjoy my sports once every four years. But I think what I love the most about the Olympics is when it's somebody's story and you know their story and you can be really invested in their story. As human beings, we love story so much, and I think we can't seem to get away from how much we love stories from novels and TV shows and movies and stories our parents tell us. We just all have stories that we love and that we grow up on. I find that even when I'm reading a non-fiction book, so like a, not a story book, whenever they come to a story part of the book, I'm always like, oh, like I'm super interested and super engaged. Like that's what I'm there for. I love stories. And as humans, we are creatures of stories. Some of my favorite stories are the Jane Austen books. I love Francine Rivers as an author. Have you read a Francine Rivers book? Let us know in the comments. I love Marvel movies. I love um, the Jane Austen books turned into movies. I love the story of my dad almost um, smashing himself on the rocks at Cowries because he was go-kart racing down the hill. I love all the stories that have shaped my life and shaped my world. And I want to know in the comments, what are some of your all-time favorite stories? Whether that's a novel, a kid's book, a movie, TV show, whatever it is. And um, today, we are continuing with our series on the unshakable life. And we're going to be speaking about the unshakable story. Part of living an unshakable life means knowing that our lives are caught up in an unshakable story. Now, this feels extremely appropriate today because I feel like the whole roof's going to fall in on me because the wind is so strong this morning. So if the lights and everything is shaking, you'll have to excuse us. It's one of those dramatic mornings here at church. But um, we are unshakable in Christ, which is wonderful. And we're going to be speaking about the story of God, the story of the ages this morning. The writer of the Hebrews. So if you guys know Hebrews is one of the books in the New Testament, it was a letter. And we don't actually know who the author was. It's the only New Testament book where we really don't know who wrote this book. Um, but it's like one of my absolute, absolute favorite books of the New Testament. And he was writing to Christians who were being persecuted. He was writing to Christians who were struggling. He was writing to Christians who were considering walking away from their faith altogether and leaving the whole thing behind. And he encouraged them with a lot of things. But one of the things he encouraged them with in Hebrews 11 is that he reminded them of their story. He reminded them of the story of the people of God. And so that's the main passage that I want to be focusing on this morning as we talk about the great story. So I'm going to read a little bit of the start of this passage together. So this is Hebrews 10, starting in, we're going to start in Hebrews 10:39 to give us like a little bit of context as we go into it. The author, he or she says, but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So this is the main thing he's been saying. We're going to be faithful. We're the ones who are going to push through. We're not going to turn away. And then how does he encourage them in that? In chapter 11, he says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. 
By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by the example of his faith. And then the passage goes on and it talks about the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, the faith of Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and the people of Israel and Jacob and Joseph and everyone. And it says these people were faithful and they were faithful and they were faithful. And this is what they did. And this is what the Lord did in their lives. And there's this little interlude in the middle that I want to read as well. This is um, verses 11 through to 16. He says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. The author of the Hebrews here is saying to these people, remember the story of your people. Remember, And he's inspiring them and stirring them up. This is a grand story that you are a part of. And that's what I want to do this morning for all of us. I want to remind us of the grand story that we are all a part of. Because it can be so easy to feel like our lives and our days feel nothing like storybooks and nothing like movies. One of my favourite silly things that happens in TV shows and movies all the time is when people meet for coffee and they like go in the cafe and they both sit down and they talk for two minutes and then they get up and leave without ever ordering coffee or like eating food or anything and there's like so many things like this that happen all the time in TVs and movies that are like so ridiculous and so not life but on like a bigger scale we can feel like man my life doesn't feel like a grand romance my life doesn't feel like a grand adventure My life feels mundane and boring every day and I don't even know what the meaning of this, I don't even know what the purpose is of what I'm going through. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. No character in a story has no suffering. There's never been an epic movie where everyone's happy and has no suffering the whole time. The point is that the context of the story made a difference. They suffered but they suffered within the context of a grand story. Their suffering and their struggle had meaning because it mattered within the story of what was happening. We think of these epic adventures like Lord of the Rings and these epic sagas and every person in that movie has suffering and sacrifice associated with what they did. Basically the entire third movie is just the actor who is Frodo being like in agony the whole time. I'm like, oh my gosh, poor guy. But, But it's all in a grand adventure. And so there's meaning to it. And even in these movies, side characters aren't insignificant. Even the characters who play small parts, who pass on a message or who do something little, their part in the story matters. And as Westerners um, in Australia, we can tend towards being individualistic. We can tend towards seeing my story and maybe the story of my family. But we're going to remember today the grand story, the broader story that we are a part of. God invites us into the epic story of the ages. He invites us to be caught up in His story and in His adventure. The Bible is a story. 
The Bible is not something where it's like cycles and cycles and everything's the same and history just goes around and around in circles. That's not the way the Bible tells. That's not the worldview of the Scripture. The worldview of the Scripture is that there's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end and there's climaxes and we're looking forward to something. And that God is actually telling a story through the history of humanity and through what He's doing in the earth. And so I want to do a super quick overview of the story from creation up until today, which isn't a ridiculous task and I will forget a million things and all of that. But I still think there's merit in a big picture overview of what are we talking about here? What is our story? What are we going to be remembering this morning? So don't worry too much about the details. Big picture. What is our story? So number one, God. Our story begins with God. He is ultimate reality. He is uncreated. Sorry, that point's not up just yet. I'll come back to those at the end. He is ultimate reality, uncreated. He existed before anything and everything that was created comes through Him and came through Him in the beginning, God. And then there was creation. God created a physical world and a spiritual world and it was very good. He made human beings in His image and He gave them authority on the earth. He gave us as humans a great and exciting and a grand task, things to carry out and to do on the earth. And it was very good. He wanted relationship with us. He walked closely with us. But then there was the fall. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were sent from the Garden of Eden. And every human except Jesus has done the same ever since. Our perfect communion with God was broken and the perfect world God had given us was broken. But God actually wanted to restore what was lost. He longed for relationship. He wanted to be near to us. And so He found a way. And the first way that God did this, which is what we read a lot in the Old Testament, was through the family of Abraham. God comes in uh, Genesis 12 and He says to Abraham, like, I want to build a relationship with you. Your descendants will be a great nation and your descendants will be a blessing to the earth and I will bless you so that your family can be a blessing to the earth. Through Abraham and his descendants, God formed relationship with people in the earth again. Through Moses, he took that people, Abraham's descendants, out of Egypt and he formed a covenant with them and they eventually became the nation of Israel. And they represented what the ideal was, was that they were meant to represent God on the earth. They were meant to be almost like a priest to the earth. That if people wanted to know what God and what God's people should look like, that they could look to the nation of Israel. But unfortunately, the nation of Israel was full of people and people aren't really that good always at following through on what God has asked us to do. And so the people of Israel had many moments and times where they were greatly faithful and they did wonderful things, but had just as many times when they were unfaithful, when they were sinful, when they turned away, when they didn't follow through on what God wanted them to do. And so eventually the people of Israel were exiled. They were taken out of the land that God had given them. But God was so faithful that a remnant remained. He brought back people into, um, into Judah, into Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple. And then they, then they said, we will wait. We know that the glory that our nation had before is gone, but we are looking forward to a day when our Messiah will come. We know that what has been prophesied is that our Messiah will come. And God 
so wanted to restore relationship. The Old Testament showed that this sort of old covenant thing wasn't working and God longed to draw us back into relationship. And the people of Israel, they waited for a Messiah. And that brings us to the New Testament. We see Jesus who came and He walked and He lived on the earth. Every element of His life was fulfilling the Old Testament. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the covenant perfectly in the way that nobody else could. I, I had a, a cool realization last week um, because I was trying to practice reading like Hebrew because I'm learning to read um, biblical Hebrew. And um, the book of Jonah is apparently an easy one to read. So I was practicing reading it. But because I was practicing reading it, I was reading it really slowly. And I was noticing for the first time, like with fresh eyes, that there's this whole thing about how like the storm's going on and Jonah's sleeping in the boat. And then Jonah's called upon to help calm the storm. And then the storm is calmed and all the sailors worship the Lord and fear him. And I'm like, where have I seen this story before? And that's exactly the story of Jesus in the storm. Jesus is asleep in the boat. And I think that that's because it's an echo of Jonah. Jesus was in the storm, not because of his disobedience to the Lord, but because of his obedience to the Lord. Jonah had to be cast into the sea for the storm to be calm, but Jesus could just say the word and the storm was calmed. But the result was the same. The other people in the boat feared the Lord and they worshipped Him. And that's just one like super random example, but everything Jesus did in His life fulfilled what God was trying to do in the Old Testament. He gave the people bread in the desert, which echoed the manna that God had given them in the Old Testament. Jesus was the promise of God. Jesus revealed in everything He did that He was God Himself. And then... He died. Jesus actually died in our place. He died to pay the price for the broken covenant and to forge a new one, to bring us into a new relationship with God. That's not based on us doing all the right things, but He fulfilled it in Himself so we can be in perfect relationship with Him. And then He rose from the dead and He conquered sin and death. And he left his believers here on the earth. And he said to them, you guys will be the beginning of my church. And the church was born as that song that we're all singing. What is it? King of Kings. And everybody cheers. And the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. And we know that the Holy Spirit came and he empowered the believers in the church to be bold, to preach the word, to speak in tongues, to speak to people of all nations, to bring them into relationship with him. And I'm not going to stop the story here. I want to do a really quick overview because our story doesn't just jump from Pentecost to today. There's 2,000 years of church history that brings us to where we are today. And this is still our story and these are still our people. So after the closing of the New Testament, there was great persecution in the church. Many, 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 many believers died for their faith. They gave up their life for their faith, even in the time of the New Testament. But there were waves and waves of persecution for 300 years. But in that space, the believers, the early church, they were faithful. They gave a place for women to be safe and respected in a society that didn't do that. They rescued babies who were thrown in the garbage heap and they adopted them in and raised them up as children in their own families. They made such a difference in the Roman Empire that in the year 300, the Roman Emperor, Emperor Constantine declared that Rome was a holy nation. He became a Christian and he declared that the whole nation had to become Christian. Now, like most things in church history... 
We can see how there were wonderful consequences from that and things that were not so wonderful that came out of that. But the fact that that even happened is like an insane miracle. The fact that, the, that, that these people lived such lives of holiness and lives that were so different that they caught the attention of the emperor of Rome is, I just think that's insane. And basically the next long time in church history is a period of time known as Christendom when basically the church and the state were one and they really ruled and there were good things about that and there were a lot of things about that that weren't that wonderful where the people in the upper heights of the church um, were oppressive to the people who were lower down in the community where political gain became more important than leading the church well but there also were wonderful figures of faith. We think of people like Augustine, of Gregory the Great. Some of the popes were wonderful in what they did for communities and what they did for the gospel. In this time, we have so many councils where key theological decisions and things were made that we still believe and we still teach today in this time period. But definitely towards the end of this period of time, we tend to call Christendom, came somebody who shook everything up. And if you know who it is, I want you to type in the comments. What happened in 1500? Who was it that shook everything up? I cannot see what you're writing, but I'm sure somebody got it right. Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he stood before the king and he said, enough is enough. You are corrupting the church. This is not right. And he came in and he said, unless I can be convinced by the authority of scripture and by reason, I will not believe it. And this changed not just the church, but the world forever. Because for the first time, people were sort of like the, the, the shockwaves that came out from the Reformation. When somebody said, no, I'm not going to just have my relationship with God mediated by the church. I can have a relationship with God myself. I can read the Bible myself. That changed the world. Because for the first time, scriptures were being printed in common languages. Everybody was empowered to read. Education went up. Everybody was encouraged to know God for themselves. And even in that, it led to splintering and splintering. And there's a million different Protestant denominations. And there's all kinds of challenges that come with that. But I think overwhelmingly, the result of the Reformation was a return to um, a, a faith that was, that was sincere. It wasn't just institutionalized. It was a, a part of a return to a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus that was so significant. And Martin Luther wasn't the only one. There were so many people that were part of this great movement in the Reformation. Then coming out of the Reformation, we have the spread of the gospel. Until this time, the gospel and the church had been concentrated in Europe. But for the first time, the people of God, they went to China, they went to Africa, they went over to the Americas, they spread the gospel around the world. We think of wonderful people like Hudson Taylor and the Jesuits who went out and shared the gospel. And even in that, there were things that were done well and things that were done terribly in the way the gospel was shared. But there were many faithful men and women of God who with great hearts, went out and they shared the gospel in culturally appropriate ways that was so wonderful. We also see social change and this time great social change was stirred up. We see William Wilberforce who fought to end slavery. We see the launching of the Salvation Army. We see the launching of charities all over the world of hospitals and these things that came through Christians, through believers who saw a need to raise up the oppressed, to teach women, to teach the poor, to teach people who everybody else had forgotten. And then we see in the last couple hundred years what's often called the Great Awakening 
We see revivals, the Holy Spirit being poured out in the church through people like George Whitfield and even later on Billy Graham, where, where people's faith was awakened, where people were drawn to God. We can look at great Christians of our own lifetime, of Billy Graham, of Martin Luther King Jr., of C.S. Lewis, and people that are on the earth today faithfully loving and serving God. And we can think of today. Today around the globe, there's people who will wake up and worship God in underground churches in China. People who will be worshipping in oppressed home churches in Afghanistan. There's people who will be worshipping God in Ukraine, in nations that used to be under Soviet control. There's people who will be worshipping God in Mexico, in Africa, in Indonesia, all over the world. We are part of a story, a rich heritage of believers from all over the world, from every nation, from every race, from every tongue. This is our story. These are our people and we wake up around the world and we worship the Lord together. And this is where we fit into the story. We live in this age of redemption and we carry the call of God to be the people of God in our age. We know the Lord. We have the churches we have. We have the faith we have because people before us were faithful to the call of God in their story. We are called to do the same in our time and in our age, to build good lives, to love people, to know the Lord and to make Him known in our day, to carry the torch that was given to us so that we can pass it on to the next generation. Like the Olympic torch. Was anyone there when the, when the torch went through Shell Harbour or other places around here? I was. I remember it. It was super cool. And that, that same flame is the one that got lit in um, Tokyo yesterday, a couple of days ago, which is like super cool because people carried the flame forward and we need to carry the flame forward of what we've been given in our history and in our story. And the last thing that we do is we wait for Christ. The coming of the end of our story is Jesus. Jesus is going to come again with His bride and we wait for the final chapter of this story when we go home to be with Jesus forever, when He will rule and reign and we get to be part of His kingdom forever. So, Looking at this story, what can we learn? Number one, looking at the story of the ages reminds us of the sinfulness of men and women. The story of our people is wrought with failure. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, throughout church history, horrible things have been done in the name of the Lord. Things the church has done that has been rightly criticised for. But the good news is that Jesus has been faithful. He has chosen to work with and through us anyway. Number two, looking at the story of the ages reminds us of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. God has been faithful to reach out to people. He's a God who intervenes, not just at the cross, but He has stepped in and He has sustained His church and sustained His people. He has said He would build His church and He has and He does. And He has continually sought to reach out and build relationship with us. And number three, looking at the story of the ages reminds us of the irreplaceable, glorious role we play. Human beings on our own, we are sinful. We do make mistakes. But with the Holy Spirit in us, working through us, redeeming us, we can be outrageous forces for good and for God in the world. And that is the story of our people. As much as there are sinful, ugly spots, that is not the only story. And if people tell you that, then that, that, that's not honest. 
The church and the message of the gospel has transformed the world. It has raised up the poor, set free the oppressed, provided hospitals, education, peace, freedom all over the world. We look at William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Wesley, John Wesley, who went and preached in the fields. They wouldn't let him preach in the fields because he was a fancy um, educated preacher. And he was like, forget it, I'm doing it anyway. And he went and preached to the poor people in the fields until he was 80 years old. He was riding horses around preaching in the fields to the poor people. We look at Julian of Norwich. We look at Mother Teresa. We look at the nameless others who raised families, who loved God, who shared the gospel, who died for their faith, who went to countries and died sharing the gospel for their faith. Your life matters. We are part of a grand adventure. You are not alone. We are surrounded by others who cheer on our life and cheer on our story as we are faithful before the Lord, even in the everyday moments. We can look at all these grand people who became famous and whose names we know, but for every one of those, there were 50 or 100 more who served in the quiet places. I love this quote from the Hobbit movie. Um, It says, Some people believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check, but that is not what I have found. It is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. And I found that to be true as well. We are the people of God in the small things as well as in the big things. The story of those people is our story and we carry our story forward to the next generation. We can live unshakable lives because even in our suffering, in our struggles, in the hard times, we are within a glorious story. Now, I want to read the way that um, the author of the Hebrews wrapped this up because I think it's, it just touches me so much. This is the last thing I want to do and then we're going to pray and wrap it up. You can get to the swimming in a second. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, says this. So after he's told all the stories of all these faithful people, this is how he wraps it up. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith and yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And this is a part I want us to remember as we go forward into this week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, since there are so many that have gone before us in the Bible and after who have been faithful witnesses to the Lord, who have served the Lord faithfully in hard times and in good, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out before us on the good days and the bad because we are part of a grand story. Your life matters. You're part of something big and good and wonderful. So I'm gonna pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for the story of the ages. God, we thank You that Your story is unshakable, that You have always been faithful to preserve Your people, to preserve Your church. You've always been faithful to bring right where there has been wrong. You have always been faithful to draw people into relationship with You, Lord God. And God, we thank You that You use flawed people like us. God, help us to be the ones who can be faithful in Your story, who can serve You, God. Help us, teach us to pass the flame on to the next generation well and strong. We thank You for this epic adventure, this epic romance that our lives are caught up in and that that's true even when we feel like it isn't. And God, we wait for the final chapter of the story. We know You are coming again and we believe in faith that You will come again, Lord God. We great with great expectation and great faith. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' Name, Amen.